the Bob Newhart Show. Won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about The The Jerk. It's all about Jim. Yep. Ah, I'm a jerk. I got the obvious joke out of the way. Well, could, easily could have been said that about me. No, I'm a jerk. Everybody oh, knows a, me. I'm a jerk, jerk for making that joke. Yeah, we're a couple of jerks. A couple of jerks working at the jerk store. <laughs> uh, it's such a good movie. I'm oh, so excited for covering this. Yeah. I love this movie. I've told you time and time again that yeah. Steve Martin is one of my first live action human heroes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of my first comedy heroes, and just the amount of time I secretly spent listening to Wild and uh, Crazy Guy. Yeah, yeah. That's his album, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the first one, too, which I forget the name of it, um, I wore out like two cassette tapes. Oh, really? Of Wild yeah. and Crazy Guy. I listened to it. I memorized it. I knew the whole thing. Wow. I couldn't do it in front of my parents. But that's the thing, too. It's like there wasn't that much right. like dirty stuff. No, no. I'll still remember probably my favorite. I'm going to just do it. Sure. My favorite bit from that album was he's like, so, you know, I'm dating this girl. And, uh, you know, she has the most amazing pussy. <laughs> and, oh, come on. Come on. Come on. I'm talking about her cat. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> That cat was the best death I ever had. And, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, of course, I don't do any justice to it. But right, it's, right. it was that, like, turn yeah. where he takes you, yeah. rolls it back, and then makes it even worse. <laughs> but in such a, like, innocent way. Charm- yeah, yeah, very charming, so, innocent so way. Just yeah. dopey charming. Like, for such a smart guy. Oh, yeah. To, he mastered stupid smart. Oh, yeah. He was one of the first really dumb smart guys. There were a lot of dumb guys yeah. playing dumb dumb. Yeah. yeah. But his dumb had so much underneath it. Yeah. And so yeah. much uh crafting to it that it was like the smartest dumb ever. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. what drew me to it. And I'm going to save the story for the stepdad show cuz it's de- it's a definite stepdad <laughs> show cuz it deals with a stepdad. But yeah, this movie is a definite be careful what you wish for situation oh, because yeah, yeah. I begged the old man to take me and uh, I got him the the only way that I got him to take me was I I somehow because this is live TV you know there's yeah, no yeah. I don't know if I taped it or what I did I don't think we had a VCR then but somehow I was able to show him a scene from the movie the cat juggling scene oh yeah yeah and the yeah. old man hated cats back then no oh, yeah came around later in his life yeah best friend was a cat but of course at that time hated cats so you thought that was the funniest thing you ever saw <laughs> drunk as he was got me in the car we went to the movie nice. there's your teaser let me just say it haunted me <laughs> that decision haunted me literally for the rest of his life wow and most of mine. Wow. All right. <laughs> well, <clears throat> take yourself back to 1979. Yeah, baby. Uh, in January, Black & Decker introduces the Dust Buster, a handheld spot vacuum derived from a portable, self-contained drill capable of extracting core samples from the lunar surface for NASA. It was so weird, man. Honestly, <laughs> I know, it was so I know. cool when you went to a house and so many <laughs> folks had the Dust Buster. You're just like... Can I see it? It's, it was the future in your hand. I, I mean, so many, it got so many kids to do, it was like, uh, yeah. you know, uh, uh, painting the fence in, yeah. uh, in, in, in the crowd in, kid. No, no. 
No. Paint and, the fence? Uh, and Mark Twain. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, you're, you're going way Tom back. Tom Sawyer, yeah. yeah. Where he's like, oh, this is so much fun. You guys got to paint yeah. me that. It was basically the same. Oh, give me a quarter. I'll let you use the dust buster. Because <laughs> we were all just so fascinated. Nobody had ever so seen weird. something so cool. It was, like a, it was like a Star Wars robot. Yeah. I mean, it's just I had no idea that it was it was originally built for NASA. Totally makes sense. I mean, it's yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, if you it's, think it's about it. the dustbuster from space. Most yeah. technological innovations come from the space. Yeah, uh, I program. mean they they put more money into research and development on things. Cell phones, satellite, than most TV. other agencies do. Yeah, yeah, they you have know, to. GPS, transistor radios. Yeah, yeah, like everything comes from either military or space. That's why we got to fund NASA. Yeah, uh, totally. You know, more money for NASA. Yeah, we, 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 I tell you this: we start funding going to Mars, we're gonna have food replicators in the next yeah, uh, fifteen years, and hollow decks and stuff. It'll oh, happen. Yeah, It'll I'll be happen. dead. <laughs> I'm gonna miss out on all the cool stuff. Yeah, uh, August 9th, Raymond Washington, co-founder of the Crips, one of the largest, most notorious gangs in the United States, is killed in a drive-by shooting in Los Angeles. The killers have never been identified. I'm gonna go on a limb. I think it's the Bloods. Uh, probably. I'm just going to say. It also could have been the cops. <laughs> true that. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's very possible. That's true. The, the whole Crips and the Bloods thing, man. Oh, I know. I know. That was... Uh, colors. 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 <laughs> I'm sorry. That was, just, uh, that was a great movie. But was, yeah, I mean, that was a lot of like uh, CIA propaganda. I'm not saying yeah. there wasn't a gang problem. There was. But it was... It uh, was... D- yeah. It was exacerbated. By the racist media and yes. all that shit. Which is why it probably was the police that killed him. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. So, you know, like, who killed Tupac? Who kid, killed uh, Biggie? It was probably all the, the cops. cops. It was always cops. We're going to get in trouble with the cops. <laughs> December 5th, the New York State Supreme Court orders the city and state to provide shelter for homeless men in a landmark decision brought about through a class action lawsuit brought by Robert Hayes, co-founder of the Coalition for the Homeless. What's so crazy is he had just come off of starring... In Airplane, yes. Robert Hayes. Yes. And to do this, what a renaissance he's a, man. He is. He's all oh, about the homeless, no. helping the homeless. Not the same guy? No, it's not, not the, the same, same guy. guy. It's not the same but guy. But that, you know what's crazy, is just a few years later, Ronald Reagan would get rid of all of that. <laughs> yeah. And more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was unfortunate. Yes, uh, it was. December 14th, The Jerk premieres in St. Louis. All I need is this ashtray. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. It was the perfect movie for Steve Martin. Like, there's never been more of a perfect debut movie for a comedian. Yeah. You know, he'd been in some other stuff, like smaller stuff. Yeah. But, Uh, but I mean, this was him. Yeah. Like, this was all him. Him and Carl Reiner. Yeah. And it's like, but it was, you know, you you see a lot of comedians' first movies, and a lot of them are, you know, were like Saturday Night Live movies. Yeah. Because that's kind of where they got their break. Or, you know, they, or Eddie Murphy, a great example. Yeah. Trading Places, right? But that was his first? Uh, yes. Yes. 1982, yes. Right. Yes. Which was, you know, a perfect... But it, it, was, it, it was a great introduction to Eddie Murphy because it, yeah. it hit all of his marks, you know? I, all of his hours, comedy bips. 48 Hours might have been before that. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. They were shot around the same time. It was around the same time. Hey, we could just go back into our archives <laughs> yeah, exactly. and look at our old episodes that we don't remember anymore. <laughs> that's what it's getting old. It's like, people. You don't remember nothing. But... There's, you know, this one was completely on his own terms. You know, Murphy, regardless of whether it was 48 Hours or if it was Trading Places, these were amazing films written by other people that he slipped into and they were tailor-made for his brand of comedy. They were crafted, recrafted for him. Yes, they were rewritten for him. But this, from Soup to Nuts, is Steve Martin creating the 
Yes. Perfect vehicle for it him. It was all him. He – I mean, he wasn't – it's not like he just came out of nowhere. I mean, he had – we'll talk about it. But because he, he was huge in stand-up at this yeah. point. Yeah. Oh, no. I, but it was – Saturday Night Live. But it was 100% and... like him going, hey, this is what I'm good at. Right. I'm going to show you. But this, yes. He had a bunch of TV success. You know, yeah. he started as a great writer and a performer yeah. on the Smothers. Um and was on Saturday Night Live, basically helped craft that show in the first yeah. couple of seasons. You know, huge stand-up, you're right. But this was his next level. This was yeah, him moving into course. movie Because he could have either done movies or right. a TV show, basically. That's I mean, what a comedian does. You either become a movie star. Well, back in the day, you could do all the TV you wanted. But until you made yourself in Hollywood, yeah. until you made that movie that made money, yeah. no one cared. Yeah, because he had, I mean, like, TV specials, too, yeah. back then. Oh, huge, yeah. 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 But everybody did. Huge. Yeah. I had, like, yes. six TV specials <laughs> in the 70s. Yes, you and uh, Sonny and Cher were, were co-headlining. Was so it was I great. was really, yeah. really talented when I was four. Yeah, yeah. yeah the drugs. <laughs> so Habit seven. Steve Martin <laughs> was born in Waco, Texas in 1945. Uh, explains a lot. Uh, but he was raised in Inglewood and Garden Grove in California. He didn't spend very much time in Waco. Good. It would have uh, warped him. I've spent more time in Waco, I think, than he has, which is sad. How come? I dated somebody that was from Waco. Oh. Uh, a wacko from Waco? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's not go there. <laughs> uh, his father was an aspiring actor, and seeing him as an extra gave Martin dreams of becoming a Hollywood star. Nice. Uh, while in high school, Martin landed his first job at Disneyland selling guidebooks. He frequented the Main Street Magic Shop and by 1960 had mastered several magic tricks and illusions and took a paying job at the Magic Shop in Fantasyland. The man has great hands. He whether does. it's doing close-up magic or playing the banjo or making yeah. balloon animals or, or whatever. Eventually we'll talk about uh, him doing lasso tricks oh, in, yeah. the, in Three Amigos. <laughs> <laughs> well, the guy is so talented. He it is. makes me angry. Yeah, he uh, here he perfected his talents for magic, juggling, and creating balloon animals. Balloon. <laughs> Martin attended Santa Ana College, taking classes in drama and English poetry. In his free time, he worked in comedy troupes and theater productions. He met a lady who convinced him to enroll at Cal State Long Beach <laughs> and major in philosophy. Yeah, yeah right. uh, his, who is this lady? Uh, I actually don't even know her name. Lady, he's a lady. <laughs> yeah, uh, she was enough to make him like totally, almost totally change his entire career, but not important enough yeah. to have a, remem- a, a name that a people name. remember. Yeah. Uh, His philosophy classes made him strongly consider becoming a professor and abandon all his dreams of becoming an actor-comedian. He would have been been a great professor, but he would have been interminable. You know, he would just turn snoots. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm tenured now. Yeah. Um, Yeah, anyway. I was going to make a comment about someone we know, but I won't. All right. Uh, Martin would use these classes as fodder in his stand-up act. If you're studying geology, which is all facts, as soon as you get out of school, you forget it all. But philosophy, you remember just enough to screw you up for the rest of your life. Uh, Yeah, that's true. It's true. (laughs) I remember in my philosophy class, one of my philosophy classes in college, I had this professor from Kentucky. Yeah. And, uh... He'd be teaching us, and I remember when we got to Nietzsche. Oh. And he'd say, all right, we're going to be studying nature. And we're like, nature? He's like, no, <laughs> nature. Philosopher nature. Oh, and I oh. guess that's how you say Nietzsche, but it's Nietzsche. 
I don't know. Nietzsche? Nietzsche? Yeah. Yeah, Nietzsche. I, I think that's how I gen- use it. Nietzsche. Nietzsche. He sounds like he's saying nature. Tommy, it was very confusing. <laughs> in 1967, Martin transferred to UCLA and switched his major back to theater. While attending college, he appeared in an episode of The Dating Game, winning a date with Dina Martin. Yeah, that was Dean Martin and Drag. It yeah. was so good. Hey, uh, I'll take you out to uh, get a couple <laughs> drinks. Martin began working local clubs at night to mix notices, and at 21, he dropped out of college. People did that. This was around the time that I believe he started working at Knott's Berry Farm as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, he did magic shows there. Yeah. And I think his performance evolution was yeah. more Knott's Berry Farm related than yeah. Disneyland related. Well, Disneyland was, it was just, I think that was the thing that was like, oh, hey, I can do this stuff. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. But I think he really got his chops at Knott's. Knott's. His chops at Knott's. Chops at Knott's. Uh, yeah. He, it's interesting because Steve Martin feels very much like a variety act performer that oh, yeah. kind of missed his era. Yes. Well, same thing yeah. with Martin Short. Yeah. That's yeah. what makes them so perfect together is yeah. they seem like vaudeville right. and vaudeville exactly. act that has been transplanted. <laughs> it's like you're you just know. 50 years too late. Exactly. Uh, or not because they're both very successful. Right. But they took that energy yeah. and that kind of performative concept. Yeah. Performative Performative. Concept. I'm making you're up just, words. You're like William Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> um, and dated it, you know, and yeah. made it more modern. Yeah, 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 yeah. They but it has that energy of like... Right. That's my favorite. I've done a lot of variety show stuff, and like, it is it is what draws me to it, because it's just, everything's quick and done. It's like, you got two minutes go, yeah. and now we're moving on to the bendy person that it's does fun. stuff. And yeah. I'm seeing that stuff is fun, because you got to keep a crowd up. Yeah. You know, you know it's, oh, it's so great. It's really too bad there's not more vaudeville, as of right now. <clears throat> uh... So, in 1967, his former girlfriend, I said girlfriend, girlfriend, Nina Goldblatt, a dancer on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, helped Martin land a writing job with the show by submitting his work to head writer Mason Williams. Hmm. Williams initially paid Martin out of his own pocket. Hey, kid, can't officially hire you, but I'm going to pay you out of my own pocket. That's how much I believe in you. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Your girlfriend said a lot of good <laughs> stuff about you. <laughs> Along with the other writers for the show, Martin won an Emmy Award in 1969 at the age of 23. People don't remember how groundbreaking the Smothers Brothers show yeah. was. It yeah. was not just another run-of-the-mill variety show. There yeah. was a lot of political commentary. Yeah. It was kind of the bridge between the establishment and the anti-establishment. Yeah, It wasn't you know completely... You know, Vietnam War sucks, and right, but right. it did have its. It it was a conscientious show, and it was a lot more progressive, I would say, than yeah. other specials. And I'm going to say this again: every time we bring up the yeah, Smothers I know, Brothers, I, know. I have to make this note yeah. because it's one of my only <laughs> true Hollywood uh, successes. Yeah, is both Dick and <laughs> Tommy. Uh, Tommy. Tommy. Yeah. Separately said that I made the best gin martini in all of Los Angeles. Nice. Nice. And together, they're like, you said that? I said that. And it was a bit, and it was fun. I used to hang out with them. Nice. I love them. Nice. That's awesome. I, that would have been so much fun. It was, I got to I'm just quick speed bump. Sure. I, I didn't bartend for very long, but mm-hmm. I got in at the perfect time at this hotel, the Mondrian, mm-hmm. which used to be kind of a sheesh. Yeah. You know, lots of celebs would come. But I was there at the time where it was like... The end of an era. Yeah. Like uh, 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 Walter Matthau would come in 
and you would yeah. get uh, Steve Allen, who has a theater here, would not, come not in. Anymore. Oh, <laughs> it got torn down. But yeah. Steve would come in and just play yeah. the piano for fun. Yeah, you know, yeah. and all of these old school Hollywood cats would come yeah. in, and it was just a dream come true because as a bartender, you just like, hey, buddy. You know, you yeah. don't, you're, you're not a fan. You get to interact. I think the only time I ever really said anything was Walter Matthau because I couldn't help myself. Right, right. <laughs> he's great. Oh, I mean, he's God, it was the presence, the presence of greatness. Yeah. But it was so much fun. It was such a great time. And Smothers Brothers were awesome. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So Martin also wrote for the Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour and the Sonny and Cher Comedy Hour. Now, Glenn Campbell on the other hand. <laughs> Not so awesome? No. Poor Glenn Campbell. <laughs> he, was, uh, he had a lot of alcohol problems. Yeah. Uh, Martin's first television appearance was on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour in 1968. He only had half a gray head of hair. <laughs> yeah, he, he went gray so fast. 13. Yeah, it was so fast. He saw a ghost at 13, <laughs> and that was that. A ghost! I just seeing him in the jerk, because he was only, I mean, he would have been, what, 35? Maybe, Maybe when he did the jerk. Thirty yeah. four. Yeah, he was full head on, full yeah. gray. Oh yeah, like crazy gray. I, yeah, or sto- I'm not even really gray. Silver, I, I guess. Silver fox. Silver fox. The age of thirty four. Yeah. Martin opened for groups such as the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, who returned the favor by appearing in his 1980 television special All Commercials. God, there is so much Nitty Gritty Dirt Band in this. I know story. I know. I know, I know. It's we, he got. He was very close with them. I know, but I just I haven't heard the yeah. nitty gritty dirt band in so long. <laughs> Nothing know, against the nitty gritty dirt band, <laughs> but it's just the, it it's, is, it's just such a funny name for a band. It is weird. I had no idea they had such an impact on Steve Martin's yeah. life. I mean, basically, they're the reason why he is who he is. Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, he also opened for the Carpenters and Toto. He would uh, continue to write, earning an Emmy nomination for his work on the Van Dyke and Company in 1976. Must have been weird going to see Toto. <laughs> and you have Steve Martin opening up. It's just an odd mix. You don't think that there'd be a lot of Steve Martin fans at the Toto concert. Play Africa already. Africa. <laughs> I mean, oh, the idea of comedians Red opening excuse, for bands me. is weird. Well, there's I, certain, like, I get, like, you know, Jack Black opening up for... The Foo Fighters or something. Or, you know, it's like that kind of like... Sure. But even even then still, it's still weird. It was a strange thing. It's not done as much as it Not at all. Not at all. But uh, except maybe with Chris Rock. But not Chris Rock, but Kid Rock. Rock. Chris Rock actually opens for Kid Rock. For Kid Rock? Yeah. They call them the the Rock Brothers? Yes, they call it the (laughs) Rock People Scissors Tour. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, somehow I think Chris always wins that. Uh, (laughs) I don't think he would come anywhere near (laughs) the kid. <laughs> in the mid 1970s, Martin made frequent appearances as a stand up comedian on The Tonight Show, starring Johnny Carson. Yes. And on The Gong Show, HBO's On Location, The Muppet Show, and NBC's Saturday Night Live. He was a mainstay. He was one of the first rock star stand up comics. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, if not the first, really. Yeah. You know, the guy yeah. that was selling out stadiums, and yeah. he, he became a legend through his stand up. Oh, and. Yeah. He paved the way for so many other guys to 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 become as big as they became. Right. right. Um, but yeah, you, that was the great thing is as a fan of his standup, he would show up like on the Muppet Show, which was you know right. one of my favorite shows. And you know, uh, it, it was just that's what you did back then. Yeah, you just went you just, on whatever. You made appearances. You you made sure the public saw you all the time. And and people don't remember, or maybe they do. But Johnny Carson was the anointer. You yes, know, if you went yes. on Johnny and killed, 
there's he, your career. You if he have asked a career. you to come sit down and oh, talk with geez, him. Oh, jeez, yeah. Then that's then boom. You are you're set gonna, for the next. You're going to sell out all your shows for the next year. You're booked. Yeah, yeah. you have yeah. made it. That yeah. was the that was the thing. But if Johnny snubbed you, Oof. your career's done. Whoosh, down, down. Boom. You Toilet. bomb on Johnny, baby. Swirling around that bowl. Oh, it's time to go get your GED. <laughs> Every time that Martin made an appearance on SNL, the audience would jump by a million viewers, and he was one of the show's most successful hosts. Because he was just so much energy. Yeah. And his comedy was just infectious, and it was obnoxious without being obnoxious, Yeah, if that makes sense. Dumb without being stupid. Right. You right. Know, it, was a very, it was a contradiction. It was yeah. so much wordplay, so much, you yeah. know, the King Tut, which is just so bizarre, <laughs> you know, that... That was huge on Saturday Night Live, and it turned into a big single. I know we're going to talk about it, but it's just like, I mean, anything this guy touched turned to gold at that time. Yeah, that's true. It's very true. Martin has appeared on 27 SNL shows and guest hosted 16 times, second only to Alec Baldwin, who was hosted 17 times. Well, it's time to break that record and get Stevie back on top. Also, and I'll mention this in the next uh, episode when we talk about Three Amigos, but he was the fastest to, Martin was the fastest to get to five times. Uh, he did it in like a year and 180 oh, wow. days. Uh, the Five Timers Club. Five Timers Club. Yeah, he was the fastest. Was he the uh, first? Yes. In fact, I think he. Ooh, I think or he was, was Paul Simon. Either him. No, it might have been Buck Henry. Buck Henry oh, might yeah. have been fifth. But he he took almost two years. But but it, it just shows that Martin was just on the show constantly oh, yeah. for like the two first two three years of the yeah, show. Yeah, like I said, he. Yeah. It, people think that he was a cast member because yeah. he was on so much. Uh, and funny enough, uh, what's his name? Uh, little comedian or that little musician, Paul Simon, you yeah. just mentioned. Technically, he's only hosted four times. Oh. But they consider him part of the Five Timers Club because he's guested and on the show like 100 times. As a musical guest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just making random appearances and stuff. Yeah. He loves being called the little guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if he was Garfunkel, he'd be the tall guy. True I mean. that. He's like a little old lady now. <laughs> oh, he's so talented. He's just as cute as a button now, he too. He's <laughs> like a Yoda. He is. He is. Uh, on the show, Martin popularized the air quotes gesture. That's so crazy. Which I didn't know that. Yeah, he came up with air quotes. I didn't know that. I can't stop doing but, the air quotes. Well, he was so funny. I mean, it was just... <laughs> yeah. He was so good at playing a faux a-hole. Yeah. Yeah. He was so yeah. good at the, I'm so full of myself. He allowed people to be in on the joke. Yeah. And, like, understand that he was making fun of those people. Right. That, that's, oh, that's not me. We're talking about somebody else. But technically, that is me. But as the character, he didn't understand. What no, are you talking no, about? Yeah. Why are yeah. you doing Of course. Of course. Uh, while on the show, Martin grew close to several cast members, including Gilda Radner. Uh, on the night she died of ovarian cancer, a visibly shaken Martin hosted SNL and featured footage of himself and Radner together in the 1978 sketch. Yeah, it was a beautiful sketch where they dance. Yeah. And it's like, uh, it's it, it was one of the short films that they did yeah. uh, in, in the early years. And it was so poignant. There's like two super poignant Saturday Night Live uh, moments that where they brought the film back. It was this. It was like Happy Feet, I think, was the name of the okay. sketch that they did where yeah. they would dance. And then they would, you know, because he yeah. had that whole Happy Feet bit. Oh, my oh, feet. Yeah. Oh, they're yeah. going crazy. I can't stop. Yeah, I can't yeah. stop. I can't. And then, so they had the Happy Feet thing, which was hilarious. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was John Belushi, the film where he was right. the last surviving right. cast member. Right. And he's visiting the graves <laughs> of, every, yeah. of all the people that died because they were like, you know, the the joke was he was going to be the first to die, which right. unfortunately he was. That's true, yeah. But those were two super yeah. poignant 
yeah. moments. And I remember watching both of oh, those yeah? live. Yeah. Gilda Radner one. And, yeah. yeah. In the 1970s, Martin's television appearances led to the release of comedy albums that went platinum. The track Excuse Me on his first album, Let's Get Small, in 1977, helped establish it as a national catchphrase. Let's get small. <laughs> oh, God, I love that album so much. <laughs> well, excuse me. They're so funny. Uh, they did, on Saturday Night Live, it must have been recently, because it was about the time that Alec Baldwin was yeah. about to overtake Steve. Oh, yeah. And they were in the yeah. club. Oh, yes, yes, and yes. the funniest yes. thing is Martin Short's the waiter. <laughs> he doesn't really have any lines. He just brings the three. He's just there, yeah. And Alec Baldwin does the excuse me so well. It was absolutely hilarious. If you have a chance, check it out on YouTube. But yeah. Yeah, man. It was just... It was weird because there was so much joy and energy in that album. Yeah. And both yeah. of these albums. Yeah, yeah. Nothing mean. No, you know, no. Nothing no. like angry. Just this joyful fool just doing these bits that were very philosophical yeah. and very layered. You, it's like The Simpsons or anything that's smart done. Smart dumb. You can A dummy can watch it and take it straight off right. the cuff. Right, But somebody who has a little bit of... Emotional intelligence. Sure, we'll watch it and see the crafting and the depth and the other messages behind exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, and that was was just. There's nobody like him. No, no, he's a very brilliant writer. Very, yes. very brilliant writer. Yeah. Uh, his next album, A Wild and Crazy Guy, in 1978, was an even bigger success, reaching the number two spot on the U.S. sales chart, selling over a million copies. Um, a comedy album. This I, is it, this, this is just unheard of yeah. now. Yeah, this is not on the comedy charts. This is the <laughs> charts, man. Right. Right. And this is like all we had were tapes and, t- right. and three channels of TV, right? Some books. That's it for entertainment. <laughs> so you know, it's a big damn deal to get up that top. He was a juggernaut. He, yeah. he just was one of those guys that came around at the right time, had something new and appealing at a time too. If you think about like about the time that he really got big was the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s. Yeah. And his yeah. heyday is pretty much the 80s, early 90s, yeah. you know, movie boys. But it was also perfect for the time because that, you know, that faux uh, yeah. snobbery or <laughs> condescension that he had was so just telling of what was coming with these snobby, right. you know, right, right. pretentious, know-it-all, coked-out jerks the of the 80s. 80s yeah. Yuppies. yeah. He was, he was pre- Dating these jerks. It was almost like these jerks listened to him and was like, no, oh, I think I'm going to adopt this personality. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Just a Wild and Crazy Guy became another catchphrase. Uh, the album featured a character based on a series of SNL sketches in which Martin and Dan Aykroyd played the Fastrunk Brothers. Your Tuck and Georgie were bumbling Czechoslovak would be playboys. We're two wild and crazy, crazy guys. Hey. Hey. Yeah. This is my brother, Georgie. Yeah, it was so... Oh, yeah. They were great. Oh, yeah. my God. It was... Uh, that was one of, like... I'm surprised they didn't make a movie out of that. Well, it's funny, because I think... I'm always, like, to, my, to myself, I'm like, oh, yeah, they did, but it wasn't. It was that other movie with Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan, yeah. which was similar. Not quite. Not as charming and no, not, not as funny. <laughs> not as good, by any means. A good friend of ours was in that movie. Was Greg Dunnigan. Oh, yeah? He is a blink-and-you-miss-some bartender. Oh, nice. Yeah. I didn't know that. All right. Uh, the album ends with the song King Tut, sung and written by Martin and backed by the Toot Uncommons, member of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. King Tut. 
I just love the the play on Tudon Cummins. <laughs> yeah, and then again we got the nitty gritty dirt man. Yeah. Uh, it was later released as a single, reaching number 17 on the U.S. charts in 1978 and selling over a million copies. Yeah. It was, it was, it was huge. It was, gi- it was gigantic. Uh, it was on the album, I remember. I loved it. And then they did this. It got so big because of the Saturday Night Live. Yeah. You know, where he was all dressed up as King Tut. Yeah. did the dance yeah. and they did the, you know, that the was Egyptian. On April 22nd, 1978, when he performed King Tut in SNL. King Tut. Uh, and also, he's also really good at, like, you know, catching the... Zeitgeist? Yes, thank you, of, of, of society, because it came out during the King Tut craze oh, yeah. that accompanied the popular traveling exhibit yeah. of the Egyptian king's tomb artifacts. The boy king. That's why he wrote it. I mean, because yeah. if you listen, it, it yeah. kind of talks about all that. Right. You right. know, about how, you know, the boy king becomes the <laughs> popular whatever. <laughs> he's more popular when he's dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Both albums won Grammys for Best Comedy Recording in 1977 and 1978, respectively. Oh, yeah. By the end of the 1970s, Martin had acquired the kind of following normally reserved for rock stars, with his tour appearances typically occurring at sold-out arenas filled with tens of thousands of screaming fans. Gotta be crazy. Gotta be crazy, man. I mean, yeah. if you're a singer, you got the music, maybe you got a ba- hopefully you got a band, you know, some, some just go out there and do their thing. Yeah. But they have the music and the dance and all the stuff to hide behind. I just... I have nothing but respect for these guys uh, like him or Kevin Hart or these guys that can just sell out a stadium. Huge, like 30,000 people. It's like I, I would, I would just poop myself. I know, but you got <laughs> like 30, you just, and it's just you telling yeah. jokes. That's, that's, that's control, man. That's that, amazing oh, control. Yeah, yeah, but it's also you have to be talented as if yeah, yeah. to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, unknown to his audience, stand-up comedy was just an accident for him. His real goal was to get into film. Uh, which is also the beauty of Steve Martin, is that he didn't really want to do stand-up. <laughs> he was sure. just kind of like, well, here it is. I'll do it. I guess I'm well, good I'm at it. I'm going to like it. <laughs> His first substantial film appearance was in a short titled The Absent-Minded Waiter in 1977. That was great. The 7-minute long film, also featuring Buck Henry and Terry Garr, was written by and starred Martin. The film was nominated for an Academy Award as Best Short Film Live Action. Yeah, it was shown on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. It was one of their digital shorts. Nice. Or not digital short. At that time, film. not a digital short, yeah. but yeah. He made his first substantial feature film appearance in the musical Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, where he sang the Beatles' Maxwell's Silver Hammer. Yeah, that, okay. <laughs> I went to see that movie with my grandma. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that was the Bee Gees yeah. playing the Beatles. Yes. And it had everybody in it. Everybody. Yes. George, George Burns was in it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they all just had these little bits, and he, and he played... I don't know, some crazy doctor. Maxwell Silverhand. I mean, that's exactly how he did it. Yeah. It was Steve Martin, you know. And yeah. it was, we're going to cover this movie. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna have, I've literally never seen it. And so I didn't, I, I, uh, yeah. oh, I loved it. Oh, I it's loved super it. I the weird. soundtrack, everything about I'm it. I'm admitting weird. that some of my first real love of the Beatles was actually the Bee Gees, the Bee Gees doing the Beatles. Pretending to be yeah. the Beatles. Nice. I was like, who are these Beatles guys doing the Bee Gees songs? <laughs> Uh, basing his film proposal on a line from his act, It wasn't always easy for me. I was born a poor black child. He fleshed out his ideas into a series of notes he intended to deliver to studios. Nice. Martin met Carl Gottlieb while writing for the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour. He also wrote for the Bob Newhart Show, All in the Family, and The Odd Couple. Nice. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a great tenure. Yeah. Gottlieb was also an actor, making an appearance in Robert Altman's M.A.S.H., 
The original movie the original. that the series was based on. Correct. Uh, Gottlieb was hired as an actor to appear as Harry Meadows, the editor of a local newspaper in Jaws, which I nice. didn't realize he was in Jaws. Yeah. Uh, he was hired by his friend Steven Spielberg to redraft the script, adding more dimensions to the character's particularly humor. Uh, and it, pff, without that, Jaws isn't Jaws. Oh, no, no, totally. I don't, know, I don't think he got uh, any credit for this. Well, because the best part of Jaws is the relationship between the right. three dudes. Right, right. Uh, unfortunately for Carl Gottlieb, his redrafts has reduced his acting role of Meadows. Even though he was still in the movie, he cut himself down to like half a page. Yeah, he was getting paid for the writing. He's like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be greedy. Yeah. Gottlieb and Martin worked together on the film proposal for The Jerk. In 1971, Steve Martin met Mike, uh, Michael Elias while both were staff writers on the Pat Paulson half a comedy show. Yeah, I don't even know what any of that <laughs> I don't means. Even know what that is. When Martin decided to devote himself to stand up, he invited Elias to write material for him. Nice. This began a long collaboration that also included Martin's comedy albums and two of his network TV specials. Yeah, uh, it, so, I was just going to say, you know, people don't realize that a lot of comedians have writers. Yes. And guys that write Pe- for them. Yes. Especially back then, there were always joke writers. There was always, yes. You yes. know, they would always be hovering around the comedy clubs, scribbling little pieces of paper, <laughs> back trying the, to sell yeah, their jokes. You could you could make a living writing jokes for someone else. Oh, yeah. And you could yeah. also fax your jokes to The Tonight Show. And yeah. they would sometimes they buy would. them. Yeah. I think I might have faxed a couple of jokes nice. to The Tonight Show back nice. in the day. They did not buy them. <laughs> uh, Elias, Michael Elias would go on to create the ABC sitcom Head of the Class, starring Howard Hessman. That was a good show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, it unfortunately, it had the, uh, what's his name, the big fat dumpy dude who eventually took over Nickelodeon. Oh, right. And then got Me Too'd hard. Oh, boy. Yeah, he had some alley. <laughs> he, loves, he loves some feet. Oh, man, those feet guys. <laughs> you don't know, anyway. don't trust a feet guy. Yeah. Sorry, Quentin, Quentin Tarantino. Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. Uh, having rewatched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again, I did not realize just how many feet there were in that movie. He loves feet, but here's Holy the thing. Holy God. Oh, my God. He adores feet. Hey, look, if feet thing, as long as you're not, like, forcing people to do your feet stuff. Exactly. Feet stuff's fine. Yeah. I don't want to shame feet people because, you know, that everybody's the, got a thing. The head of the class kid was doing it without them knowing. Yes. Gross. He was a gross foot person. Yes. If you want to like feet, there's Be people more like out there Quentin for Tarantino. You. Just... Film feet for your own personal gratification. <laughs> Pay people for their foot. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Public service. Now. The more you know. <laughs> Martin was friends with William McEwen, a record producer and brother to John McEwen, the banjo player for the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Let me guess, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band? <laughs> <laughs> McEwen is credited with earning the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band their first recording contract with Liberty Records. I wonder if they were like, you got to change the name. <laughs> Nope, it's not Nitty Gritty Dirt Band or nothing. Nitty Gritty Dirt Band or die! <laughs> he also co-wrote eight songs with the band. McEwen produced Martin's Wild and Crazy Guy album. Can you remember one Nitty Gritty Dirt Band song? Nope. <laughs> Wish it could. I, I'm sure if like their, their best song played, right. I would be like, oh yeah, okay, that's Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. I'm sure... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, look, I don't think that the... Nitty Gritty Dirt Band has been referenced so many times. And like more than, than the entire span of the last 20 years, I think we have referenced the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. In 1976, McEwen and Martin co-founded the Aspen Film Society, a film production company. Awesome. Yeah. Bill McEwen was acquainted with Paramount Pictures president David Picker and passed along his notes, which the studio read carefully. Ew. Let me put on my glasses so I can read these very carefully. <laughs> It described a series of odd jobs lead character Steve would hold in his saga, but Paramount passed on the project. Hey, guys. 
It's me, Bob. Oh, Bob. Yeah, I'm the one who passed. Did you? Yeah. I just, you know, everybody calls me a jerk all the time. Mostly my kids. <laughs> so that's, is that why and you... And I was like, I'm not going to have a movie called The Jerk in my studio. Did you think it was about you? I kind of did. Yeah. I mean, strangely enough, a lot of the things that happened in The Jerk happened to me. Were you born small black child? In my mind. Poor black child. I have the victimhood of one. You know? <laughs> I think so. Hey, Bob, Bob. Rich white guys are the new black guys. <laughs> oh, Bob. We're the victims. Bob. Bob, I think I hear your kids calling. <laughs> oh, yeah, I do have kids. Yep. All right. Anyway. I was the guy. Well, I hated it. I hated it. I'm the jerk that passed on the jerk. <laughs> you are the jerk. All right, All right Bob. Bob is a jerk. <laughs> so, uh, hey. did, did, get out of here, Bob. David Picker apparently did not like Bob because he left Paramount and moved to Universal Studios around this time and brought the film along with him. Nice. Yeah. Martin Gottlieb and Alias developed the screenplay with the goal to provide a laugh on each page of the screenplay. They delivered. They did. Several bits of Martin's stand-up act were adapted to fit within the film, such as a monologue in which he emotionally exits the scene, remarking, I don't need anything. But nevertheless, picking up each object he passes on his way out. Except this ashtray. I don't need anything except for this battle ball and and this ashtray. But nothing else (laughs) except for this chair. Chair. And this paddle ball and this ashtray, but nothing else. I'm done. And this over here in this <laughs> lamp. <laughs> so, so ridiculous. Martin was able to pick which director he wanted to work with and chose Carl Reiner, famous for his work on The Dick Van Dyke Show. God, that was the best part of being homesick. Yeah. It was The Dick Out Van Dyke Show. Out of all of the reruns, that was my absolute favorite. Nice. I adored Dick Van Dyke. I still do to this day. I haven't seen a lot of it. Oh, so God. I, it is... Yeah. Such a smart show for the time. Yeah. And the trio of the writers, uh, more yapes to them, and, yeah. and Dick Van Dyke, and, and uh, oh God, Rose, Rosalind, Roz. <laughs> I love her so much, and I forget her name. Um, but it was just such a good show. And, and, and Carl Reiner was hilarious as the, the host of the show. Right, the, as, right. As the, uh, I forget the name of the... The show, it was the something-something show. Yeah, yeah. The Carl, it wasn't Carl Reiner show, but it was like, you know. <laughs> right, right. The it's Dale Ducky yeah. show or something. Uh, it'll come to me two episodes from now. But uh, <laughs> but he was such an egotistical ass. And it was yeah. one of the first times ever to portray the behind-the-scenes writer's room yeah, yeah, situation. Yeah. And also to portray the lead of a series as a complete <laughs> a buffoon. Complete jerk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the duo met constantly, and the film's title grew out of their conversations. Yeah, they kept getting in, in fights, and he'd be like, you're a jerk, Martin. No, no, you're, you're the jerk. No, you're the no, jerk, you're the Carl. Oh, wait a minute. Excuse me. Light bulb. <laughs> Martin recounts in his memoir. It needs to be something short, yet yeah, have the feeling of an epic tale like Dostoevsky's The Idiot. But not like that. Like the jerk. Yeah. Yeah, baby. The relationship worked so well, Reiner would go on to direct and co-write with Martin on Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid in 1982, The Man with Two Brains in 1983, and All of Me in 1984. All three wonderful classics. Yeah. Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid does not get the love it deserves. That movie was so groundbreaking. It It was basically film noir, and it used all old actors and cut him into the scenes. Yeah. That wasn't done before. No, no, it was brilliant. And it was done in such a great way. And he was so good in it, Steve Martin, playing yeah. this gumshoe. He, he, it was such a tightrope between idiocy and competence. It was right, just, right. it was a very great character. Man with two brains. Oh, I, 
love the man on two brains. Oh my god, one of the funniest movies one, one ever. Of my favorite comedies. Yeah. Oh god. Uh, I don't know. And then <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even. I mean, we're definitely going to do that movie. But yeah. and then all of me oh. with he and Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin's so good. The physicality, the physical comedy that he pulls off in that movie, being yeah. half a woman and half a man, half Lily Tomlin and half yeah. him. It's a tour de force performance. It deserved an Oscar. Yeah. And yeah, the the fact that they were able to do four amazing movies yeah, together, yeah, it's just tantamount to just how absolutely talented and how great they work together. Uh, yeah, definitely one of the more successful uh, collaborators in in Hollywood. For because sure. yeah, because he got Martin's comedy. Yeah, Carl Reiner. They were kindred spirits when it came to comedy. Smart, right. dumb comedy. That's like, you know, that was Carl's. Uh, that was his calling card. I yeah. mean, that was what Dick Van Dyke show was, right, you right. know? And so he was the perfect fit. And and yeah. even though a lot of these movies, a couple of them didn't do that great at the box office. Yeah. Uh, All of me did great. I mean, that was a huge All of me did very well. Um, uh, the other two did not, unfortunately. Because they were ahead of their time. They were hard yeah. sells. They, they were complicated comedies. And people are stupid. And they yeah. were, you know, they were genre-bending comedies. Yeah. And yeah. People are dumb. But they were both absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And, and nobody got Martin better than Carl Reiner. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. They cast Bernadette Peters as Marie Kimball Johnson in The Jerk. Uh, Martin wrote the part of Marie with Bernadette Peters in mind. I wonder why. Uh, because they had been dating since 1977. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, she's so beautiful in this movie. In the dictionary. Next to the word adorable. Yes, yes. Should be a picture of Bernadette Peters. There is, I would not describe anyone else as adorable as she is. You just want to cover her in a blanket, (laughs) give her some milk or something, and make her feel better. Just snuggle, yeah. Oh my God, she is just so cute. It's just, and a balloon, the balloon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the way she says balloon. A balloon. It's yeah. my balloon. Uh, Peters has starred in musical theater, television, and film, and performed in solo concerts and released many recordings. She is a critically acclaimed Broadway performer, having received seven nominations for Tony Awards, winning two plus an honorary award, and nine Drama Desk Award nominations, winning three. She's a powerhouse. That you is would not when you are an actor. But yeah. you wouldn't think with that little voice. Oh, I know. I what know. a powerful singing voice she has. Oh, I had such a crush on her. Oh, yeah. Such a oh, crush. Yeah. I mean, still do. Yeah. She's one of those lifers. She's, she's one of my lifelong she's crushes. She's just so gorgeous. And yes. she's just so... And talented. So wonderful. Like, you just want to hang out with her. <laughs> I just want to beat the crap out of Steve Martin for breaking her heart. Nah, well... Not yeah. cool, Steve. Four you of are the, a jerk. Four of the Broadway cast albums on which she has starred have won Grammy Awards. Uh, Peter starred in All's Fair, a television sitcom from Norman Lear that aired one season on CBS from 76 to 77. The series co-starred Richard Crenna as a conservative political columnist and Peters as a liberal photographer, centering on their romantic mismatch because of age and political opinions. Yeah, well, age part's creeps. Yeah, I know. Because he was a lot he was older like than 25 her. 25 years older than her. Maybe more than that. And maybe even more than that, yeah. Because this is right before, this is pretty close to uh, Rambo time. Yeah, in a few years. Yeah. So yeah, that's true. That's true. The program also featured Michael Keaton in an early role as Lanny Wolf. Hey, I'm Lanny Wolf. Yeah. <laughs> Peters was nominated for a Golden Globe Award for her role in the in the sitcom. She made an appearance on the Muppet Show in 1977, for which she was nominated for an Emmy. Oh yeah, there's something she sang on that. Show. I think we talked about it. Yeah, when we did the it was. Show. Um, it was. She sang to uh, the, the the little, little the little 
Kermit kid, yeah. uh, his little nephew or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Cosmo yeah. or whatever. Whatever his name is. Yeah, <laughs> Robin, Robin. Uh, Robin. There you go, yeah. Robin. Yeah. Yeah. Good Lord. Uh, Peters continues to act on Broadway, appear in films and TV, most recently on Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, garnering an Emmy nomination for her part. She's just an awards machine. This is still the era when, as a performer, you had to be good at everything. Yeah. You had to be a song yeah. man, woman, dance yeah. man, woman. You had to know your comedy chops, your drama chops. You had to know everything. You had to be a multi-tier. And she was good at the moment. Same with Steve. Oh, yeah. I mean, there yeah. is a reason why they were together. They were both so talented oh, yeah, and smart. Yeah. Caitlin Adams was cast as Patty Bernstein, the crazy Patty who dominates him, the stunt woman, I guess. My special purpose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Adams has appeared in a number of movies and guest appearances on TV shows, but is best known as an acting coach. She has coached Oscar-winning actors... Jane Fonda, Nicole Kidman, Naomi Watts, Rachel Weisz, Amy Adams... As well as... Brad Pitt, Kate Beckinsdale, Michael Douglas, Aaron Eckhart, Lily Tomlin, Taylor Schilling, Charlie Hunman, Moran Attias... Marianne I Atias. don't know who that is. Marianne Atias, <laughs> Megan Fox, Zoe Saldana, and others. At 14, she became the youngest member of the actor studio and studied with her teacher and mentor, Lee Strasberg, until his death. She has also worked with other master teachers, including Stella Adler, Harold Clorman, Lee Grant, Gary Austin, and Ellen Burstyn. It's so crazy. She is so tenured, and that the part she played was <laughs> so bizarre. It's, it's just like, okay. Even more interesting... Caitlin is a founding member of the acclaimed comedy improv group, The Groundlings. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Pictures up on the, yeah. No the idea. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Uh, Adams is a graduate of the American Film Institute. Her TV film, Wanted, A Perfect Guy, starring a very young Ben Affleck, won two Emmys, and she garnered a Director's Guild Award. Four years later, Adams directed the feature film Sticky Fingers, which she co-wrote and co-produced with Melanie Mayron and co-starred Helen Slater. Melanie Mayron from 30-something. yeah. Uh, in 2013, the film was screened and awarded the best comedy in the 80s that no one ever saw by the Outfest. Yeah, I've seen it. It's funny. Yeah, I've I've never seen it. I had no idea. I tried to find it. It's not available anywhere. Yeah, it sucks. That's that's yeah. why we I miss video stores. I know, I know, I agree. I want to go to the rental store. They'll have it there. Somebody will have it, or you can put on a wait list and you'll get it. The rental store. Yeah, the rental store. Is that what you called it? Yeah, that, that was your. <laughs> Instead of going to Blockbuster at, in your hometown, it was called the rental store. It was the rental store. Couldn't afford yeah. Blockbuster. No, no, no. It's they thought generic. They thought we'd be confused because everything needs to be very specific. Well, it's the rental store. It's where you rent things. It's where you rent movies. Rent movies at the rental store. And my chair. I, yeah. That. You rented your chair yeah. there? Yeah. It's and a rent-to-own. It's a rent-to-own kind of oh, thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. A, a, a yeah. Video store slash furniture rental yeah. store. Yeah, rent-to-own. Like you, you know, because I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to get a video that you can't watch on a TV you don't have? So you rent to own. You sold me, baby. Rental store. Come on, man. <laughs> they did have a lot of rent to own. You remember that? Oh, yeah. You that was rent- huge back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was a, a time when I moved out of my apartment here and mm-hmm. moved back home to raise some money and go to Central America. And I left all my crap up at, most of my crap up at, uh, up here with my old roommates, but I think they had to rent to own like a TV or something. Oh, yeah. Like a yeah. Um, and it was just not cool. <laughs> it no, was like, no. it was dumb. You rent to own it is a scam. They did not get to own it. No, no. They got to rent it. Eventually, at some point, we'll, uh, we'll cover rent to own yeah. and, and the weird, like, K-tel. like service merchandise, all those weird things that don't right. really happen anymore. The record clubs. Yeah, 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 exactly. We'll do a month of that. 
Uh, Mabel King was cast as mother, uh, his mother in the movie. She's known for her, her role as Mabel Mama Thomas on the ABC sitcom What's Happening. Everybody wanted her to be your mom. She oh, was so yeah. great. And she was so great on What's Happening, which yeah. with, hey, 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 <laughs> with Raj, Dwayne, and Rerun. And she was so tough. Yeah. Firm but loving. Loving, like, yeah. She would, yeah. Always take the shoe off yeah. to beat his ass, but she would always hug him and then hug. I just yeah. wanted her to envelop me in that warm <laughs> embrace. I mean, she just had the most huggable body, yeah. that, that bosom of of just like it would envelop you and, and take Sweet care nurturing. of you. Yeah. yeah, that's where I want to die. <laughs> I want to take be taken inside Mabel King's yep. bosom. All right, it's gonna be the name of my memoir. Inside Mabel put, King's bosom. Put that on your epitaph. Yes. Well, it's not Mabel King's bosom, but it'll do. I don't know. It's Mabel or nothing. King is also known for portraying Evelyn, the witch, a role she originated in the stage musical The Wiz and reprised in Sidney Lumet's Lumet's Do I always say that wrong? I always want to say Lumet. Sidney Lumet's nineteen seventy eight film adaptation. Of the Wiz. Of the Wiz. Starring Michael yeah. Jackson yeah. as the Scarecrow. And starring Diana Ross as, as Dorothy. Dorothy. Yeah. And starring Barfy as Toto. Barfy? Barfy the dog. Oh wow. I made that up. You okay. <laughs> Nipsey Barf- Russell was in it. Barfy the do- Oh, yeah. He was the Did Tin he play Man. the Tin Man? Yeah. And I forgot the actor that played... Didn't uh, Richard Pryor play The Wiz or something? I think so. I th- actually did. I think he was Somewhere in the back of my head is itching. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> King received mostly guest spots on television series, including Fantasy Island, The Jeffersons, Amazing Stories, and Tales from the Dark Side. Nice. Her last two movie roles were Scrooged in 1988 and Dead Men Don't Die in 1990, starring Elliot Gould. Unfortunately, King was diabetic, and in 1986, one of her toes was amputated as a result of the disease. Oh, my God. It gets worse. In 1990, King suffered a stroke and entered the motion picture and television country house and hospital in Woodland Hills, California. In 1991, King's diabetes resulted in the amputation of her left leg. Oh, my God. In 1994, her right leg was also amputated. She would also lose one of her arms to diabetes. How? I mean, how? I... I don't know. God, what did... People don't realize what a horrifying disease this is. Awful. Awful. Jesus. Uh, she would eventually succumb on November 9th, 1999, at the age of 66. Oh, sad. That's just awful. I can't imagine how... It's like, well, we got to take your leg. It's like, what the hell? She, I mean, like, when you... Oh, God, what a, what a horrible way to... I just feel so horrible yeah. for her. For such a wonderful woman yeah. to have to go through so much suffering. And nine, I mean, nine years of that. Like, that's just crazy. Yeah. And she was... Such a warm, loving person. Yeah. And it's just, just sad. Yeah. Absolutely sad. Yeah. yeah diabetes, man. Get, you, get yourself checked out yeah. because it's dangerous. Exactly. I mean, yeah, you could manage it a lot more now, but it's, uh, yeah, man, it's a silent killer. Well, we had a, a friend of ours was, was a doctor told him he was like 24 hours from going into a diabetic coma yeah. if he hadn't had it checked out. Well, that guy used to chug ranch. Uh, he did. It was not. <laughs> he did. It was a. Yeah. I think he still does on his uh, cheat days. Yeah. It's just a bucket of ranch. Yeah. He just dunks yeah. stuff. He I always his head in it. I always think I eat like crap, and then I think about a couple friends of mine. I'm like, oh nope, I actually yeah. do pretty well. I, yeah. I I do not take care of myself. I should yeah. probably have diabetes. You don't. You eat way better than you think you do. Uh, I don't know. You know. Anyway, <laughs> Richard Ward was cast as the father. Uh, Ward was an actor studio alumnus. He gained acclaim for his portrayal of Willie Loman in the 1972 production of Death of a Salesman, staged in Baltimore's Center Stage, the first African-American production of Arthur Miller's signature opus produced with the playwright's blessing. He was awesome, and he, he had this actor, really yeah. great voice that was really distinct. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, every time he was in something, 
he was one of those guys too that I was like, I love him. I want every time yeah. he was in something, and I noticed it. You know, I yeah. was just like, right on, baby, right there. Ah, oh. uh, we're make appearances on sitcoms like Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, All in the Family, The Jeffersons, Good Times, and Sanford and Son. In the pilot film for the cop show Starsky and Hutch, Ward played Captain Doby, though in the series itself, the role would be played by Bernie Hamilton. Bernie Hamilton, who was also in Last Action Hero. Uh, Ward did appear as a different character in one episode in the final series, shortly before his death due to a heart attack in 1979. Oh. Uh, his final film role was in 1980's Brubaker, starring Robert Redford. Yeah. So he, he would, did not. He did not live very much long after this, after the jerk. He did not look super healthy. No, he really did jerk. I mean... You know, it's he was older too. I mean, he was, he was. But even so, it's just, it's just, it's sad. No, it is. It is. He's still taken too young. Yeah. Dick Anthony Williams was cast as Taj, his uh, one of his brothers in the movie. Taj, he was so great, <laughs> so funny. Taj's greatest scene is when they're reading the letter and uh, they're talking about his special <laughs> purpose. Yeah, yeah. And it's basically yeah. about him talking about having sex all the time. And the grandma's like, "Oh, that sounds so great." She has no idea, and he's just like. <laughs> Just yeah. laughing on the side. Oh god! It was he so was. Funny. It was. It was brilliant. How he didn't have very many lines, but no. every time you could, you knew that he knew he was in on the joke. Like oh, every time, he was and he so was great. in the scene. You watch yeah. him throughout. Yeah. He is in it, man, and he is like reacting. It's to stand out in a small part like that yeah. is no easy thing. You can easily blend into the background because there's a lot. I mean, he they had a lot of brothers and sisters. Oh yeah, and there's not a ton that I remember, but I fully remember him. Oh yeah, yeah, and you know he's another guy too that as. This movie, I kind of fell in love with everybody. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, whenever he would show up, too, he was another guy that was, like, one of my... Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. He uh, began his career during his late teens as a member of Williams Brothers Quartet Singing Group founded in Chicago. He later moved to L.A. and began his acting career. Some of Williams' roles included Pretty Tony in The Mac in 1973, starring Mac Julian and Richard Pryor. The Limo Driver and Dog Day Afternoon in 1975. Nice. The Anderson Tapes in 1971, starring Sean Connery and directed by Sidney Lumet. You've got to get me the Anderson Tapes. <laughs> the Deep in 1977, based on the Peter Benchley novel. Oh, man. That was such a, like, the only reason why they made that is because, A, yeah. Peter Benchley watched, uh, wrote Jaws. Right. right. And, uh, but that, again, I'm going to bring this up in case you didn't hear the other time we talked about The Deep. But I love that movie because... Uh, uh, Nick Nolte. Yeah, yeah. He's like this diver. And he, <laughs> yeah, he's, it, it, but he never wears a, a wetsuit. He just wears his jeans and his right. dress shirt and it's puts so on his weird. fins and stuff. And then just, it's, it's basically wash and wear. And then he gets out and he's got his red <laughs> clothes on. But it's like, he never put. It's so weird. So Dick Anthony Williams would later appear as Denzel Washington's father in Mo Better Blues in 1990. Great, great performance. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, one of my absolute favorite Spike Lee movies, and I think one of his most underrated movies. Yeah. And he will also appear as Officer Allen in Edward Scissorhands in 1990. <laughs> he was great in that, too. Yeah. Williams won the 1974 Drama Desk Award for his performance in What the Wine Cellars Buy, for which he was also nominated for a Tony Award, and was nominated in 1975 for both a Tony and a Drama Desk Award for his performance in Black Picture Show. Oh. Yeah. Unfortunately, Williams passed in 2012. Oh, too young. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Macy was cast as Stan Fox. Not to be confused with William H. Macy. No, different Macy. Uh, his real name is Wolf Martin Garber. <laughs> Wolf Martin Garber. <laughs> he went with Bill Macy. I do not know. Because uh, Nazis. Yeah, uh, true. 
<laughs> He's best known for playing Walter Findlay, the long-suffering husband of the title character of the 1970s television sitcom Maud, starring B. Arthur. Maud! Maud, what are you doing, Maud? The show ran for six seasons from 1972 to 1978. Great show. Uh, strangers on the street would often, often call him Mr. Maud, consoling him for having such a difficult wife. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. What a... <laughs> look. Look. Maud was like one of the first kind of feminist shows. Yeah. Where it had a very strong... And B. Arthur was dynamite, you know? It yeah. was such oh, a... she's phenomenal. Oh, so great. Phenomenal. But it kind of rubs some folks the wrong oh, way. Oh, it did. Well, anytime you're going to have someone acting like, well, she's not acting in her place. I mean, Matt, what you do know? you say, Matt? I'm going to do what you yeah. say, Matt. Yeah. Uh, later, Macy would occasionally appear on Seinfeld as one of the residents of the Florida retirement community <laughs> where Seinfeld's parents lived. He was. He just has such a unique look and sound to him, you know? He's, he's so just great. This, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. just a guy. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, Macy passed in 2019, but he lived to the age of 97. Yeah, that's not unfortunate. That's probably a, a blessing. <laughs> he's point. probably he's ready. praying yeah, for death. That's true. 97 is a good run. It is a good run. It's a very, very good run. M. Emmett Walsh was cast as the Madman. Oh, I love him so much. <laughs> Walsh has appeared in over 200 films and television series, including small but important supporting roles in dozens of major studio features of the 70s and 80s. He starred in Blood Simple in 1984, the Coen Brothers' first film for which he won an Independent Spirit Award for Best Male he Lead. He is frightening in that movie. So good in that movie. Yeah. So good in that movie. Uh, he would later appear in Robert Redford's drama Ordinary People in 1980 and Ridley Scott's science fiction film Blade Runner in 1982. Uh, My favorite is he in uh, Raising Arizona. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not that mother scratcher. <laughs> <laughs> he lost his head. He's so good. Oh, he's such a weirdo. He's so good. Uh, he's still acting at the age of 87 and can most recently be seen in A Little, while, little White to Lie starring Michael Shannon, Kate Hudson, Don Johnson, and Zach Braff. Nice. Uh, as well as a guest appearance in The Righteous Gemstones from Danny McBride. Perfect. He's still awesome and funny, and he's still got it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That uh, guy just, he's one of those character actors. Yeah. That lasted forever. And still. And just so yeah. good. Yeah, he's so good. He's and the so fact funny. that he got to star in Blood Simple. Oh, oh, baby. That is, if you haven't seen that, it's the Coen Brothers' first movie. Yes. And it is just dynamite. It's proof positive of taking a character actor and giving them a good juicy lead role yeah. that they can just run with it. I don't know why I keep saying dynamite. I think I'm like J.J. <laughs> Walker today. Dynamite! Dynamite, baby! Jackie Mason makes a guest appearance as Harry Hartoonian. Oh, uh, uh, Jackie Mason. Jackie Mason. Uh, his wife is played by former Playboy playmate Sharon Johansson. You know, my favorite thing Jackie Mason ever did. They used to have a Pink Panther uh, animated show, mm -hmm. if you remember. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And they would have, it wasn't just the Pink Panther, it had some other things. And yeah. one of them was Jackie Mason playing an aardvark. The other, look. And he would be going <laughs> after the int. Hey, int. Oh, hey, yeah. What are you doing, yeah, int? yeah. Uh, I'm going to get you, int. Hey, int. Oh, I'm an aardvark. I don't think I ever put two and two together. That yeah. was Jackie Mason. Yeah, Jackie Mason. He used to do a lot of uh, cartoon movies. He's voices. so great. Oh, my God. Great stand up comedian. He was one of the original Borscht Belt. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> what about my wife? Oh. Carl Gottlieb actually makes a guest appearance as Iron Balls McGinty. How do you know he was? How would you know he was Iron Balls McGinty? Oh, he's so funny. Uh, Carl Reiner makes an appearance as himself, and his son Rob makes an uncredited appearance as the truck driver who picks up Naven. That scene is so stupid. It is so hilarious. <laughs> how far are you going? The end of the fence. <laughs> Okay. All right. Oh, come in. <laughs> the best is the cut back to the family, yeah. and they're all just like, oh, jeez. Oh, wonder how Nathan's doing. <laughs> hey, Nathan, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, in shooting the film, Reiner, Reiner ran a joyful set, according to Martin, with the cast and crew eating lunch together every day. It looked like it. I mean, how could you not have fun on that yeah. movie? If yeah. you're not having fun on that movie, you have no soul. Yeah. Then you don't want to have fun. Yeah, then you're just an old, tired person. It's just, I, I would love to do a movie that's just gags. You yeah, know? yeah. Because could you imagine being on set and just watching him do this? Oh, oh my God. And Are trying to kidding? get a straight face? It would, it would be so hard. Yeah. It's just his portrayal is genius. I mean, him walking around eating the corn dog <laughs> with his hands in his pockets, <laughs> just looking. He just nailed it, man. He's I mean, so good. it's yeah. just the greatest debut yeah. feature for any comedian. Yeah. Martin's favorite moment of the film was the scene in which he and Peter sing Tonight You Belong to Me. Martin felt the moment was touching and waited in, in anticipation at the film's premiere screening in St. Louis for the scene to come on. Unfortunately, much of the audience left during the scene to buy more popcorn. Yeah, jerks. It is super <laughs> sweet. It's a, you know. It is. Uh, you, can, a, you see the love between them. Like, they were, they were together for quite a while. Yeah. It was well, so cute. You could tell that the beautiful thing about this movie, and I'm so happy that they did it while they were still in love, mm-hmm. because Bernadette Peters isn't acting when she looks at him. No. The look on her you face can, is pure can, adoration. Yes. And it just seems like they're having so much fun together. Yeah. And it just is a great time capsule. I mean, I, I don't know if they, how they ended or whatever. I hope it wasn't horrible. I don't know. But I, don't, I don't think so. But it would seem like... An, look, I'm in a, a lot of movies with my exes. Mm-hmm. It's never fun yeah. to watch them, yeah. those no, movies, because no, no, no. a lot of crazy stuff comes, or you know, a lot of like pain right. and, and right. anguish right. comes up. But it would be nice to be in something. There's actually one ex-girlfriend that I was in something with that I would still love to watch, but I've lost all for this. Oh, no. So, oh, no. Ironing. Ironing. There were a number of scenes that were cut from the film. A scene in which Bill Murray was to have made a cameo was cut. Aw. Yeah. An alternate comic introduction of Marie near the train ride Naven was running at the carnival was shot. When her nephew takes off on the train, Naven rescues him, and in returning the boy to Marie, has the bill of his engineer's cap pulled down over his eyes so he cannot see the toy village that he is destroying like a lunatic. Steve Martin? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Well, they saved that for uh, one crazy summer. Yeah, uh, Bobcat <laughs> Goldthwait. Bob yeah, yeah. Uh, another scene that was cut featured uh, Gaylord Sartain, the hee-haw vet, as a Texas oil millionaire who tearfully begs Naven for money to replace the cracked, dried-out leather seats on his private jet. Naven grants his request, and he gratefully states, "Now I can fly my friends to the Super Bowl like a man, and not some damn boom." The television version features the scene in which a forlorn Naven, trying to forget Marie, spends six hours on the Roundup Carnival ride. <laughs> the boss orders the ride stop, stopped, and Naven is removed by two carnival workers who sit him down on the ride stairs. He asks them, What are you looking at? Haven't you seen a man so broken he needs to spin? It's just so... <laughs> yep, yep, sure. <laughs> Uh, the film is considered to have been a box office smash for the time, earning over $73 million domestically, making the movie the high, eighth highest grossing film of 1979. An R-rated comedy. And $100 million worldwide, having been produced on the low budget of $4 million. Yeah. It's huge. Uh, Christian Kubrick hailed it as one of Stanley Kubrick's favorite films of all time. I love this. I absolutely <laughs> love this, by the way. It just makes me love Stanley Kubrick even more. He would often recite lines from the film to cast and crew on his films, and he once invited Steve Martin over so they could play chess. Oh, my God. Could you imagine? I mean, he didn't like it enough to ever cast Steve Martin in anything, but 
Well, he, he tried. Uh, did he? Yes. In fact, Kubrick met with him to discuss the possibility of Martin starring in a screwball comedy version of Trom Novell, the 1926 novella. Later, Kubrick would change his approach to the material, the result of which was 1999's Eyes Wide Shut. What? Yeah. That is crazy. Steve Martin was going to be in the original version of Eyes Wide Shut. Which was going to be a screwball comedy. <laughs> which was a screwball I comedy. I want that one. I, I think everybody pretty much wants that yeah. one. Yeah. I don't think anybody loved I can't. Eyes Wide it would have been so bizarre. Oh, my God. It would have been Stanley Kubrick's greatest I, film. Yes. Yes. Because it's the one thing. He never did any comedies. Like, the one thing he... No. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, there was definitely comedy in his movies. Like... Some. Full, <laughs> Full Metal Jacket had some dark comedy in it. Sure, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, one of the characters was named Joker. <laughs> he made jokes. It had to be funny. Yeah, The Jerk had a television sil- film sequel, The Jerk Two, in 1984, starring Mark Blankfeld as Naven and co-starring Nancy Stacy Nelkin, executive produced by Steve Martin. Hey, um, I'm, I'm the Jerk Two. T O O. Yeah, it didn't uh, do terribly well. No, and, and the I, jerk is Steve Martin. Yeah. That's like, you know, uh, replacing The Rock. Yeah. I, as The Rock. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah. I, I, I don't understand it. And and to be honest, I tried. grab, baby. I really wanted to. Yeah, but it was made for TV. Yeah, but Steve like, Martin was like, ah, I want to put a guest house and a yeah. new pool in. Yeah. I'll, I'll well, like, he was around that time, and we'll talk about this more next week, but around this time, he was starting to get into more producing and stuff. Yeah. Like, he had a couple TV shows that he had been producing, so, like, I wouldn't, you know, it was one of those, like, yeah, hey, let's do it. Well, he you know. also pivoted, and he's written some of the greatest plays yeah. ever. Yeah. Picasso the Picasso Lapin Gilles. Picasso the Lapin Gilles. That was in 1993. Which yeah. is an amazing oh, Fantastic. Play. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, have you seen it? Yes. I saw one of our friends we, in it. We um, did it uh we did it when I was in college. Nice. Yeah. Um and it's just the guy is so smart. And he is definitely an elite. Oh yeah. But he yeah. doesn't act like it. Like I think he's accessible. But he's also curious. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And I think he likes to entertain. And he's so smart. And he could be yeah, I'm a smart comedian. I'm making smart jokes. And I'm going to go over And yeah. if you don't get yeah. it, then you're just dumb. But he doesn't. No. He uses it and creates accessible things for everybody. Right. Layered in a way that you can enjoy it if you're a dummy and enjoy it if you're a right. smart guy. Yeah. And uh, I started out as a dummy. And now I'm a pseudo smart guy so I can enjoy him on different levels. I just, no other comedian, in my opinion, is so diverse mm-hmm. can excel at so many different things excel i mean there's tons yeah, of comedians yeah. that have you know done music careers i'm looking at you eddie murphy <laughs> and uh you know weren't the best uh but <laughs> but he Sorry, now i have that song stuck in my head thank you <laughs> the only one i can think of is boogie in the butt but but boogie in the party. butt it's uh, party all the time party all the time party, party all the time. time my girl wants to okay see now, now okay all right <laughs> gta baby um but he excels because I he truly yeah. loves what he does. No, he, he yes, yes. Steve Martin didn't need to write plays. No, you know, no. Steve Martin didn't need to paint or whatever. Right, you know, right. Steve Martin didn't need to do any of this stuff. But he does it because he is a Renaissance man. Yeah, the yeah. guy is a juggernaut of intelligence and talent and wit, and he just seems like. I think having dinner with Steve Martin would be fascinating. Yes. Because 
not talking about him, but ha- he- yeah. hearing him talk about different t- yeah. topics. Rapping and about what stuff. he yeah. thinks about literature and what he thinks about art and what he thinks about different things. It would be just yeah. so fascinating to hear his take on stuff because he's just a fascinating guy. Yeah, yeah. And he's he, and he does he understands that he's intelligent, but he understands that a lot of people aren't. Yeah. He doesn't and, rub and your he, face in and it. He, and he makes sure that you get the joke. You know why? Because he doesn't seem like he's insecure. No, no. Smart people or quote quotes people yeah. who think they're smart that try to rub your face in it are super insecure. Yeah. And they don't really think they're smart. And that's sad. It's sad yeah. for them, and it's sad for us because we've got to put up with that crap. I've worked with a number of those people in Hollywood. Oh, uh, yeah, you and me both, man. Yeah. There's nothing worse. The worst thing ever, if an actor comes up to you or a director comes up to you and says, yes, I majored in 17th century French poetry, you run the other way as fast <laughs> as you can. Yeah. And if somebody thinks that they're the smartest person in the room, they're usually not. Yes. And that's true. Uh, stay away from those people, too, because yeah. those people don't understand criticism and they don't they are their ego is horribly insecure people yeah they're just uh, a bunch of ego and insecurity and that's an extremely dangerous situation and this is what they are both very secure in what they do yeah. they both get that they're like yeah we're good at what we do and like we could be better sure. sure but like we're good at what we do and we're gonna do it i have confidence martin short like me <laughs> loves to tease yeah and he is so good at it yeah and he does it in a way where you thank him. And that's the greatest right. way of teasing. Right. Like, I tease. I grew up with a bully. But my te- you know, I always tell people, if I'm really nice to you, it probably means I don't like you. Yeah. If I tease yeah. you, probably, the more I tease you, the more I like you. Which is, you know, that's a horrible thing to say. But it's never like mean teasing. You are literally the jerk. <laughs> I am the jerk. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like uh, Martin Short is so good. And yeah. Like, that's why I love him and Conan O'Brien together because yeah. he's just – it's just these throwaway backhanded compliments that he does <laughs> that are just so ridiculously awesome. And the way that Conan reacts to it is ridiculously awesome. Yeah. And watching Steve Martin and Martin Short now doing interviews and stuff is just gold. Oh, because yeah. it's not yeah. them getting up there and talking about all the tragedies that they've had in their right. lives with Oprah. It's just them ribbing on each other, ripping the host. <laughs> Talking about how Steve can't. Steve, he's saying that you. And then Steve Martin <laughs> pretends like he's addled. You know, it's a, they work so perfectly together. They're so good. And we don't have that so much anymore. Man. No, no. I miss the Abbott and Costellos. Yeah. I yeah. miss the the uh, Laurel and Hardys. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like there used to be this. Uh, the Smothers Brothers. You know, there used to be this great comedy team. Yeah. But they're just also old school. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, why? It's. It's history. Right. You know, these guys, they were in their heyday in the 70s and 80s. Young guys working their way up, breaking ground, doing stuff nobody's done. Martin Short doing some of the greatest character work ever. Steve Martin doing some of the best stand-up ever. Both of them breaking grounds in their respective industries. And then them finally coming together. And even though they're from different worlds yeah the world of sketch and improv i mean yeah but steve was still sketch with saturday yeah. night live yeah. but it's just somehow the chemistry between these two whether it's three amigos or whether it's the father of the bride movies yeah or only murders in the building yeah whatever they're playing they complement each other oh yeah you know so whether well. they're adversaries or friends or whatever it is yeah. they play off each other in a way that is 
it's just so natural that it, it upsets me that it's just so good, you know? And I know it takes years yeah, and whatever, but yeah. there also has to be some sort of chemistry they, connection. They, they definitely clicked right away. Uh, which we will talk about next week when we cover Three Amigos. Oh. Uh, I'm super excited. We'll catch. I'm actually, this whole month is really exciting because we're able to talk about each of them in like sections of their yeah, lives. Yeah. Like I'm excited to catch up with them and see where they're at when they finally get to the three amigos. Right. And then after when we do early murders in the building and all this, cause I mean, all of, of Martin's theater stuff didn't happen until like the nineties. Yeah. Uh, and he was cast in Waiting for Godot. Yeah. And then he just like was like, I'm doing theater now. Right. And then he, he also, you know, worked with Mammoth. And, yeah. you know, yeah. he was trying different so things. Many. Oh, and so it's like, you know, when we were talking about Fatal Attraction mm-hmm. and how he was mentioned as one of the guys, I think that would have accelerated yeah. his career. He w- It would have been a different 90s for him. Yeah. Because I think it yeah. wouldn't have just been screwball comedies. I think he would have been doing comedy and drama. Right. Because I think he would have. Nailed that in a way. Yeah. And it would have been an uphill battle because people, you know, were not going to want to see him in that role. But yeah. But he would have nailed yeah. it. Well, we'll we'll talk about that more next week because he did, early on, tried to do drama and it uh, failed Rabbit. horribly. Yeah. Yeah. But that was also, it wasn't that it was a bad movie. No. It just, it was, I think it was a conflagration of different things. Yeah. It was him trying to do Kind of force something on us yeah. that we ne- didn't necessarily was, want to see. It was too early in his career to do right. that. Yeah. It, it was, it, it, you know, the exact same parallel is Bill Murray and The Razor's Edge. Yeah, yeah. He went that way too early. And you got to take a page from Tom Hanks. Do all the crazy stuff until you get into like your late 30s and then start doing dramas. Then start. Yeah. And then do over. Philadelphia and win an Oscar. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, we'll be back next week. Uh, Super excited to talk about Three Amigos. Haven't seen that in a long time. Be careful because you might just be kicking somebody named Iron Balls McGinty. (laughs) And it's going to hurt your foot. All right, then. All right. Way to end it. Good way to end it. Good job. Nice work. All right. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Apparently apparently we're the next comedy duo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, that's so sad. The Jerk 2. And he is like the number two. Yeah. No, it was just T-O-O. No. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I totally... Fuck. <laughs> that was dumb. All right. <clears throat> Let me try that again. I'm the jerk, too. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Benson. Already in progress.